Welcome to the Envision Together, Going to Our Next Level Fest podcast. I'm your host, Pamela Mashana. Join me on this bi-weekly journey of empowerment, where you'll hear hands-on advice from lifestyle experts, educators, authors, spiritual leaders, and many more who will share tips on how to triumph personally, professionally, and spiritually. We explore timely topics such as overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Envision Together, going to our next level of best. Today, I am pleased to welcome Dana Diaz to our show. She has wonderful things to share with us, and I won't go into those details right now. We'll go ahead and have her introduce herself in her own way. So welcome, Dana. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um, I am Dana Diaz. I am an author and a mom and a cat mom and just a regular person sitting in the middle of nowhere in Illinois, um, basically speaking out for other victims of abuse, being a victim in a few different circumstances to create the awareness about it because there's so many misconceptions about abuse and narcissism and and there's such a complex healing process that comes after um, somebody survives abuse and domestic violence as well so um, i'm here to bring some light to that and, and hopefully hopefully not too many people will be able to relate but if they can i want to give them hope that there is definitely a much better life beyond the circumstances that they're in that's great thank you and that's why we wanted you to be a guest on our show, because we're all about helping each other go to our next level best around whatever yes. topic or issue, whether it's abuse or success. So, and I think this conversation will have a bit of both. Yes. <laughs> um, um, so it makes it really great to have you on the show. So I know from a previous conversation that you were kind of rejected by your peers as a young person. Um, you said that your parents didn't even want kids, their kids, other parents didn't want their kids to play with. I mean, I hesitate to even say the word, but it's the B word. I know. Um, yeah. How did you make sense of your situation and, and get through the loneliness in that time of your life? Um, you know, it was a tough one. And and I hope nobody's offended by the language that I am going to use because I'm just going to say what it is. But they have to remember this was the 70s. We were still trying to find equality and, and you know, a little more humanity among society. Um, but, you know, I had been born to a teenage mother. And, and back then, it was not okay to have you know, a child out of wedlock and so young. So she didn't even really want me, you know, so I was facing this kind of detachment from her emotionally at home, um, which was hard enough. And then when she got married, you know, her husband was just really unpleasant to say the least. He, he was, mm -hmm. I didn't know what a narcissist was back then, but just very arrogant and felt he was superior. And as such, he sought to control us and create this, uh, you know, family 
out of a family that didn't really exist because outwardly we were supposed to pretend we were a biological family, but then in the house, I was told, you're not my biological daughter. You shouldn't even be here. I shouldn't even have to pay for you. So then I'm going to school and yes, the kids are saying, well, you know, because their parents have heard the, these things, you know, rumors start in, in in communities and they're saying, we can't play with you. You're the bastard child. You're illegitimate. You know, all these things, even the teachers would be like, oh, of course, you're the kid that has lice. You know, you're the one, you know, so I was always kind of put in this little box where I was different from everyone else. Mm-hmm. And I was tough. I was fiery and strong willed. I stood up for myself, but I was a tiny little peanut of a thing that nobody really took seriously. So, you know, as tough as I felt and as strongly as I felt, nobody was hearing me. So, you know, yeah, I absolutely was internalizing these feelings of insignificance and unworthiness. And I absolutely felt like I was less than because that was what was the narrative all around me. So I had no other idea that I was anything but that. Hmm. Wow. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, But you know, I'm I'm equally sorry that that type of story is actually becoming more common than than not. It's so exactly degree of abuse, whether it's emotional or physical or even sexual, physical, um, it's really rampant in this day and time. And uh, so my heart goes out to you. And I know something of abuse myself, as you probably know. Yeah. (laughs) But thanks for sharing that. Thanks for being transparent about that. Um, The name calling, the labels. And- Exactly. What's sad to me about that is it happens at an age when we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to store it. Nine times out of 10, we're storing it in an improper place. And we, um, it lodges into our souls because we haven't matured and, and become sophisticated enough to know that that's really the expression of somebody else's problem, not not you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I didn't realize that honestly until my mid 40s, sadly, because I think, you know, even though I was physically abused as well by my stepfather, well, and my mother participated in that a lot too, but that I could get up and kind of shake it off. It, but those words, I mean, they were like daggers in my heart because, you know, I was also born and raised in the church. So I was struggling even as a child, you know, we went to mass every morning. I went to a private Catholic school. And so I'm trying to negotiate in my head, like, why did God put me here? If I'm being told I wasn't meant to be here and I wasn't wanted here. Like, what is my purpose? Is my purpose really just to suffer? Is he, you know, so, I mean, it wasn't just trying to fit in among my, you know, the kids among my peers and fit into a family, but I'm trying to fit into this world and having like these existential thoughts, you know, as a young child. And and that's a lot. It's overwhelming. Yeah. But definitely, I think it brings to light also the idea of, you know, belonging. I mean, as humans, we want connection. We want to fit yeah. somewhere. We want our tribe. We want those people that back us up. That's supposed to be your mother. 
Yeah. I mean, I've always said, like, even serial killers, I mean, you know, they have their mothers sitting behind them in court saying, yeah, he screwed up or she screwed up, but that's my kid and I love him and I'm here for him. And I couldn't even get No, that. I never really thought about it like that. But yeah, they're, they're sitting. Your mom is supposed to be there for you. She's supposed uh, to be that one person <laughs> for real. And, and it was hard because, like I said, then I'm wondering, like, well, how does God feel about me then if my own mother can reject me? How does God feel you know and there was this one little girl I met in second grade and and God love her I will never forget her ever in my entire life she just she showed kindness to me where other kids did not she did it a little kind of under the radar because she didn't want to be picked on like I was but one day I'll never forget you know some kids you know were bullying me on the playground and again back then this was a time where I hate to say, but bullying wasn't considered a bad thing. It didn't have the stigma. Mm. Teachers would stand out there with their cigarettes, you know, hanging out, chatting amongst themselves while you were having scuffles here and there. And, you know, it it just was how it was. So I had been just bullied and roughed up a little on the playground just for being me, which I was starting to get used to, unfortunately. And this little girl, when I went in, She helped me wash myself off in the bathroom before class, you know, clean up my scraped up knees and some of my, you know, scrapes on my elbows and everything. And she held my hand. And when we got to class, she handed me her, she had a gold chain with a Virgin Mary on it. And I said, I can't, she said, I want you to have it. I said, I can't take that from you. And she says, no, you need it more than I do. And I mean, it was such a, it's in second grade. I mean, what were we six years old, but she had this foresight and, and this beautiful, considerate heart to, to see me for who I was. So it gave me a little bit of a glimmer of hope, you know, and I think there are people throughout our lives that make these little pop-ins here and there that give you that courage to just keep going another day and that whatever it is, you'll get through it again, you know, and so just things like that kept me going as a kid, you know, and I certainly had the vision though, that as soon as I could get out of that house, I I needed to go be on my own. Wow. That's a beautiful story. Thanks for sharing that as well. But you know, you touched on something a while back that really stood out to me and it was, um, you, the way you describe the emotional, mental stress and de-stress um, or distress um, yes. as being more painful perhaps than the physical. Yeah. Um, and I can relate to that in the sense that um, there's times when I've been really, like I have a problem with my back and it's really, okay. really painful. And I mean, really painful. <laughs> it was so painful in my twenties that I was put on disability. Thank oh my God goodness. I got better. And I, you know, didn't stay in that situation, but it was pretty bad. But then I faced things in life where it was more of an emotional, mental struggle. Yeah. And I've often said, I don't know which pain is worse. Um, you know, you think of that. Yeah. And I mean, I've gotten some flack from people for saying that because believe me, I know that 
as rough as things had gotten. And I had a couple situations in that house that, that were awful. And, and mm-hmm. one, I, I honestly thought I, I was going to die that night, but um, so many people have had it so severe that there, I mean, it causes the emotional and psychological trauma, but my feeling about it, when I am saying that from my experience is that physical pain can be fixed. Yeah. You know, if you have a problem, you can have a surgery, you can get a prescription medication, hopefully to alleviate the pain, but words, yeah. Ooh, they, they, they really affect you so deeply and there's nothing that you can do, um, you know, in that moment or, or in the time that it's affecting you, it takes so much more work to undo mm-hmm. the trauma that, you know, a small yeah. phrase or a few words causes you. And it, like I said, four decades of my life, I struggled with the words that were spoken to me. You know what? I want to stand with you and validate you. Uh, not that you need to be validated or affirmed by me, but I know something of what you're talking about. And I'm not afraid to say it too. Um, I've had physical abuse, sexual physical abuse, mm-hmm. and I've had the mental emotional consequences that stem from that act yeah and i have to say the act itself is horrible and if we were to watch a movie displaying that we would be horrified but what we forget is that event is over but the event is not over here in the mind it's not and in the soul So it does take many, many, many years to unravel um, abuses of of any kind. So um, I don't think we should be afraid to say that. It's a a different kind of pain. It's a lingering pain. It's a pain that actually can take control of your life. Um, Yes. It affects every aspect of your life. It affects all of your relationships. It affects your work. It affects your, sometimes your ability to function. If you, if something really triggers you, yes. You show up in the world differently because of it. So though it's stemming from a physical event, the consequences of that physical event outlives and I dare say outweighs the event itself. Um, in so many, I agree. Things. So I agree. But I think what you said is really important that, you know, it, where was I going with this? Just that when the things are happening to you, like you said, it's really bad. But I think we, we take these words that are spoken to us or take the trauma of it and we think that we're defective. And I don't like this verbiage that people use when they say they're broken or they're damaged. Because if I needed knee surgery or if I broke my arm, yeah, the arm's broken, but it's not. It doesn't mean I'm broken. Yeah. And I just look at that physical injury the same as I look at a mental inter- injury, people don't realize that, you know, things like bullying, verbal abuse, any, any kind of emotional or psychological trauma, so to speak, is actually causing an injury to your brain. Mm-hmm. So you, me, anyone else that has ever suffered something like that, we're not broken. 
we're not damaged. We had an injury, mm-hmm. except this injury is going to, you know, just like you go to rehab, you know, to learn to walk again or learn to use, you know, some aspect of your body again, you have to sort of go through this mindful therapy and this healing process to get to a point to where you can rehabilitate your thoughts. Yeah. It's hard to even pinpoint what the issue issue actually is. So it's harder to mend because you have to first just peel back. How it affected you might not be how it affected me. Exactly. The space you locked it away in may not be the same space I locked it in. So it's a whole guessing game of yes. where is the root, the root cause of this? Because once you find the root, then you can uproot it. But it's the whole trick of exactly. all of these vines that spread all over the place <laughs> trying to find, okay, where did it originate? <laughs> where did it- For real. And that's what the healing journey feels yeah. like when you get into it. Because I think people have this idea that you're just going to like wake up one day. And while you slept the night before, some fairy came and sprinkled magical dust on you. And you're going to wake up and say, oh, I'm healed. Life is happy and skip around and smile. And it's not that way. What you said is very poignant because it is you are digging. You are when you decide to heal it's like, I, I remember one trying to dig up a rose bush that I didn't want where it was. And it had been there for years. And Lord help me, if anyone has ever dug up a rose bush, I couldn't get that sucker out for anything. I'm digging and I'm digging. Like you said, I am trying to find the end of that root. And it just kept going and going. And that's what healing feels like because you are, you start with like, okay, this, this thing hurt me or these words hurt me. Well, why did they hurt me? And then you go to the next thing. Well, you know, at the core of my being, I have this, you know, abandonment trauma or this rejection trauma or whatever it is. And then you're going the next step. You're digging, you're digging, you're digging to find out. But in that you're exposing, I mean, you're exposing so much about yourself, about the person who did this to you, about life in general. And, oh, it's exhausting. It's, you have conflicting thoughts in your head you're trying to make sense of everything so it's very difficult but if you can get there it's it's also very you know it opens your eyes to everything too and I think once we can find the understanding about the situation we can accept it and at that point learn to forgive ourselves for carrying some like you had said in the beginning that struck me to the cord because that's what healing is about is I think when people abuse you they are projecting their trauma their issues whatever their unhealed situation is onto it's you my- and once we can release that back it's so liberating it's it's true it's like they put this poison seed Mm-hmm. into your fertile ground so to speak yes then i like the analogy and that's why i'm staying with it of of roots and plants because yes. there's so many networks of vines and roots and it gets confusing and if this happens to you as a child before you are in a better position because even if it happens to you as an adult it's hard to figure out but when it happens to you as a child you don't have that sophistication to even pinpoint what exactly is hurting you, disturbing you, what triggers are going off in you. Right. Um, So 
when you're looking for that exact root that has to come out of the ground to make it all stop so the whole thing dies, you're going through a process of, is this vine it? Is this track it? Is this root, this part of the stem or the root it? And what you find is the original root, if you will, um, it's spread in so many different directions. And to me, it goes back to what we said earlier. Um, you may be pricked or hurt in one area, but it spreads now into your whole life in multiple areas. And it's, yes. I'm reacting like this. Why are you so angry? Okay, I'm angry. That's a problem. I need to change it. I need to get it together. But that's still not the root. You have low right. self-esteem. Why don't you believe in yourself more? Okay, that's right. I do have low self-esteem and I that's a problem and I need to work on it, but it's still not the root. So it's like getting to, oh my God, it's this overarching thing that all these other things have grown out of. And I think- Yeah, and it keeps growing. Yeah, and it keeps growing too. I mean, for me personally, I I mean, obviously- had a continued relief. It was more distant. Um, and, and we became estranged a few times, but you know, every time I was around them, you know, I mean, we'll keep going with this analogy. I, yeah. My mother and stepfather, it just kept growing and growing because even though I was old enough that they knew if they touched me, I was calling the cops, mm-hmm. that verbal stuff, you know, still making the remarks still feeding my mind with thoughts that I'm incompetent, incapable, that I'm I'm never going to amount to anything and that I don't matter and nothing I say matters. You know, it just kept festering in me. It kept feeding, you know, that that's why I couldn't really, I couldn't heal and I couldn't let it go, you know, even despite trying to go to therapy throughout my adult life it was still there because it was still in progress, so to speak. The abuse was still happening. So it wasn't until, you know, actually it was my them that uh, they started the silent treatment again, because they used that usually to disapprove of things that I said or did. But during the spell of, of silent treatment back in 2019, I just finally said, you know what, either you people want to be my parents or you don't. You have not expressed to me in any way throughout my life that you have, but I would like to have some relationship with you, but I don't want it to be like this. I would like something kind, courteous, respectful. And, mm-hmm. and you know, they weren't willing. They, they uh, you know, wanted to say that I was mentally unstable and that I was the problem. You know, I'm the ultimate scapegoat. Um, so Let it me... just ended badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I'm a writer. And when we're writing characters, we, you know, art imitates real life. So one of the yes. things we consider is that no human being is all bad. And no human being is all good. So if you're the good fairy godmother, there's something (laughs) wrong with you. Something's going on with you where you're not perfect. And if you're the evil devil in the story, (laughs) there's some redeeming qualities. There's something about you that would be likable. Um, 
so the man who goes home and abuses his family, when he goes to work, he's very humorous. He keeps everybody laughing. He's upbeat. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a redeeming quality, even though yeah. he's doing this terrible thing at home. So what was like that in terms of your parents? Was there, what was the good that you experienced? I'll be honest with you. I have the, the, the good memories that I have with my mother. The only times I ever felt close to her as simple as that, as this sounds was when we, whenever we were driving somewhere, we could just be going to the grocery store or she could be driving me to a dance class and she loved playing the oldies station. Mm. And when she would play the oldies, she would sing along and I would sing along and we would just laugh and belt these songs out, even though neither one of us could sing worth the damn. But I just, I loved that. I, that's when I felt close to her mm -hmm. and it's so hard. It's so hard for people that don't understand. I don't even know how to make you understand how you know you came out of somebody's womb and they just refuse to embrace this connection and to embrace that love that's between you. It's very difficult, but yeah, we had all these moments in the car growing up and even through my teenagers and even despite everything that was happening. And to this day, I have a hard time. As a matter of fact, just last week, my husband and I were driving somewhere and he was changing the stations and an oldie came on and it actually brought me to tears because I thought of my mother and I wished we could have just even an iota of that in our life, but she doesn't want anything to do with me. And it's very sad. But you do have but my step moments. father, unfortunately, he was that. I do have those moments. I do hold those memories, you know, in my heart. But, you know, unfortunately, I've always said, similarly to you, good people do bad things and bad people do good things. And you're absolutely right. As a writer, I mean, even when I was writing my book, even though it's nonfiction and it's about my previous marriage, which was abusive, you know, when the publisher came to me and said, okay, boo-hoo, we've already seen and heard and read the story of, you know, the big bad man who's mean to his wife. She's like, you had a part, <laughs> you were perfect, you know, your halo's a little crooked. And she was right. And so I had to, you know, acknowledge those parts of me and those things that I, I did that weren't necessarily characteristic of me, but apparently they were because I, I did and said them. And that, you know, definitely impacts the dynamic between two people. But at the end of the day, I, I, my stance is that if you are intentionally harming another human being in some way, that is just cruel and, and it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think any of us are going to argue against that. I just, um, I guess I don't like to just look at, um, people. I like to look at people in a holistic way. Mm -hmm. I would never want anyone to judge me solely off of my mistake, Agreed. solely off of whatever. I'm a whole person, even the parts of me that's a total screw up. <laughs> Agreed. And um, that, you know what? I love that. And and you're a hundred percent right. And I think that's a that's one of the things that I like to, you know, let people know, especially when 
they are, you know, in the position that I used to be in where they think that they, you know, there's something so wrong with them. And it's, you know, they're just really internalizing everything that's going on around them. Like it's their fault. And I'm like, no, you know, you have good things about you. Are you perfect? No, but none of us are. And we have all done and said things. I brought it up is it also gets confusing when you experience the good from the same person who's doing something so horrible, that's a confusing place because it's like, I love you, but the person I love is also hurting me. That's harder. That's a lot of, um, a lot of confusion for a young person, for an adult person. Um, You get confused about what love looks like, what good looks like. What does it mean to, I mean, you get all these unhealthy concepts, but then it leads and plays a role in how you live your life, which is leading me to my next question. You had this childhood abuse and then you found yourself as an adult in an abusive situation. So let's transition there and tell me a little bit about your narcissistic uh, relationship that you were in, uh, the man that you... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with what you just said. Um, You know, basically, he walked into where I worked one day, I'm 19 years old. Um, I'm in college, I'm working full time. Just, I'm, I'm a fighter, I was gonna make my way through life without my mother and stepfather. Um, you know, I was just very determined to lead a different life because I knew that I deserved better than what I was given in my childhood. So I'm working one day, 19 years old, this young man walks in my office. He was just very arrogant and he seemed very entitled, thought he was better than everybody. Um, and I just didn't like him at all. He reminded me of my stepfather. I'm like, you know, I know this personality. I'm not feeding into it. I'm not going there. Well, I was also, you know, having come out of this childhood where I was starved of love, I also felt like I was like a little puppy waiting for a treat, you know, and if anyone imagines a puppy wagging its tail, like almost shaking, like, just give me the treat, give me the treat. So when he expressed an interest in me, I thought, okay, maybe I need to, you know, give it a shot. What's the worst that can happen? I don't like him fine. But what if I do? What if he's not what he presents like? And yeah, we went into this 25 year, you know, relationship, we had got married, had a kid because what you had said about, yeah, he's good. And he's bad. Obviously, nobody is attracted to some weirdo running down the street with a butcher knife like Chucky. These are nicely dressed, you know, very well mannered people. His family was lovely. Um, his sister was very welcoming, you know, after a while. And it just, it was like the Beaver Cleaver show. It just didn't make sense to me that he was this other personality sometimes. Mm -hmm. So it was this constant push and pull where there was great love or seemed to be, and a lot of affection. We laughed, we had all these good times, but then he'd have these angry outbursts and he would accuse me of things and blame me for things I had no part of. Um, And it sort of repeated that same cycle that I felt in my childhood, but it was familiar to me. Yeah, it was familiar to me. So 
I don't so want to say I was attracted as a husband, someone like your father. Yeah. They say you marry your, your father, or if you're, your you know, a, in the male role, you know, you marry your mother, whatever it is, but I absolutely did that. And, and it creates, you know, what we call in narcissistic language, this trauma bond, because, you know, things got worse and worse, you know, and, and that's, that's what narcissists, well, I think a lot of abusers, regardless of whether they're narcissists, they push the bounds just a little more every time because they know they got away with that. So next time it's going to be a, a little worse. They're going to do a so little more to affect you. And it keeps going it, and going. Can you define it a little more for us? Um, you often say narcissistic abuse. I'm not necessarily yes. used to hearing it together like that what does that mean sure narcissistic abuse is simply when a narcissist abuses you and a narcissist on a very basic level is somebody that actually does think that they should be admired and praised and exalted because they do feel that they are superior to everybody else rules don't apply to them um, they sometimes even delude themselves about their status um, and their position, but but they they generally feel like they deserve more than the average person. Um, entitled. entitled to the point, yeah, to, to a very dangerous point, though, and they will use, you know, if they're abusive, they're using the abuses to gain that fulfillment for their ego. Not all narcissists are abusive, but the narcissists that are, and the reason why narcissistic abuse is so traumatic for the victims is because it's not just verbal or physical. You know, there is sexual, there's financial abuse, there's legal abuse, there's the gaslighting that, you know, it, they will employ any tactic um, that they can to maintain control over you and make sure that you don't leave because they are, you know, getting what they need from you and they can't risk you going out and revealing who they really are because that's what you had said as well is that, yes, these people are out in society going to work and everybody loves them and they'll do anything for anybody and they go to the family events and, you know, the kids love them and are climbing all over them. They're making grandpa laugh and, you know, the, these are seemingly decent good people but then they they have that person that they're abusing that sees this other side and it's a very nasty ugly side and so it's hard to you know the conflicting persona is hard for the victim to kind of decipher as to I'm what is break it down in a slightly different way so can you think of a specific act or word the thought well not a thought that um your abusive husband would do or say and then trace it back to a specific response you had to it like show us when he said this or did this this is how it impacted me even if it's now i'm looking back in retrospect can you draw a correlation between one or two things? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most of the things that he said and did 
instilled fear in me. That was my reaction. So I was, I was a freezer. I would just freeze. Like I always said, I felt like I would still myself like a rabbit. Like maybe if I didn't move and I didn't breathe and I didn't, she would just not see me. But you know what, one example, and, and this doesn't even use words. So, you know, people might say that this isn't abuse, but this is, this is the type of stuff he would do. So one day I, got home. And this was after I'd filed for divorce. He had put ring doorbells and video cameras up on my house, (laughs) my house, so that he could monitor my comings and goings and that of our son. But because he was dangerous and because he had threatened me, you know, people might say that I allowed it, but I didn't want to poke a sleeping bear. So I just said, I don't care. I left them be. But I got home one afternoon standing in my kitchen, just going through the mail. About five minutes later, my ex tears up the driveway and now I freeze because that was my instinct. Whenever I felt like threatened, I would freeze because why was he there and what was he going to do? And the way that he tore into the driveway, something was not going to be good. He burst through the door We live in a small town in the country. I didn't lock the door. Stupid. But he comes bursting in the door. Doesn't say one word to me. The look on his face, though, was one like he wanted to kill me, though. He marched up the stairs to where the master bedroom was, came right back down carrying his handgun, walked out, got in his truck, and left. So is that abuse? No, nothing happened, right? Nothing Mm -hmm. happened. But did he harm me? Yes, he harmed me because he was instilling fear in me. He wanted to make sure that I knew that he had that gun and that if I did or said anything else to offend him, and God knows what that would be, that he might use that gun, which he eventually ended up trying to do. But in that instance, I was so fearful, just like when for the, I would say the last four and a half years of our marriage, he decided he wasn't going to work. You know, well, financial abuse is a whole other thing, but he had this nasty, nasty knife. It just looked, oh, it just looked awful. And it bothered me that he had it. He would leave it laying next to him on the coffee table when he would watch TV at night. And I always said, I felt like that was a shock collar for me. Like I was a dog, like it was to keep me within my boundaries so that I knew that he had it and I knew who was in control. So I didn't open my mouth and I didn't step out of line. I stayed right within the boundaries that he had set for me to act and and speak within. Wow. So, um, you said that your publisher told you to explore what part did you play in it. I know that's a tough thing to say. It's I feel a little hesitant, even, you know, as a host asking you interview questions. But <laughs> that's okay. one of the things that came to my mind is when he's doing all this stuff, I'm just trying to understand the psychology around it and what mm-hmm. I'm about to say may be so totally off and I apologize and that's okay. Is, but do you think it could have been a part of you that in some weird, strange way 
liked all the attention he put on you, even though it was crazy attention or how would you define it? What, what, what were you, I don't know. I really don't know. Well, I think it was a trauma bond now that I know what a trauma bond is, you know, that, that, you know, the same person who's hurting you is the same person that you turn to for love and safety and all these, you know, things you need to feel secure because I, I had nobody else. But I, I'll be honest with you. I like to be self-aware and open-minded. I will say this in, in partial agreement with you because I could see where you're going with that. I definitely know when I was out of that marriage and in a new relationship with a longtime friend, I did I don't know if my body got like the, the chemicals in my body got used to the stress and the chaos, or maybe I just in my mind got used to the stress because it was familiar. And because exactly. I had always been told. So now you're I'm with this. I just want to say you're expressing right. it so much better than I did. I didn't use the right words. Like, it's not well, no, enjoyment. you expressed it how it is. I mean, no, you're not enjoying it. But I mean, certainly, I think that, you know, to some extent, it's like an addiction, you yeah, know, right. like your mind and your body, to maybe together just needed it. Because so when I was out of that, and I'm in this new relationship with somebody I'd known a very long time, I'd known his family like 15 years, and I was resistant, but I thought, okay, you know, I do, we've always liked each other, but he's very quiet, very gentle. I mean, complete opposite of my very reactive and hostile ex-husband, but there were times where I'll be honest, I, I almost feel like I stirred things up where there was no trouble just because I didn't feel that he loved me unless we had conflict. You were kind and, of attracted to the bad boy. Oh, but, we all are attracted to the bad boy a little bit, just not yeah. that bad. <laughs> you were, but you know what? You were set up for that from childhood. I was. I was. But it's something it alerted me. And and this is where I know like I had been so intent on being alone and taking the time. And many people do after traumatic and, and abusive marriages or relationships. But I was sort of glad. I mean, I felt bad for he's now my husband, but I felt bad for him. But at the same time, I was glad that it made me aware of how I was okay. because then kind of going back to our healing if you don't know what the root is if you don't know what's going on how are you going to fix it so it helped me to get to the point where like okay I needed to learn to self-regulate I needed to learn to calm down because the rest of the world did not live in this heightened state of fear and anxiety like right. I had for so long the okay. rest of the world I hate to call normal but they lived at a balanced state. And so I needed to do the work to heal my nervous system, to calm my mind so that I could relate to others and connect to others on a, a much better level than what I was trying to do. Okay. So help me understand this. What was the breaking point, if you will, that caused you to say, uh-uh, I'm out of here. I can't do this anymore. I'm leaving. 
And not only did you leave, I'm writing a book, I'm telling my story, and now I'm gonna try to help other people understand how to take charge of their lives, so to speak, or something. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very easy question for me to answer. By the end of 2019, I had been very, very sick for over a year. Um, Just so many. I had probably two dozen random symptoms from blurred vision to numbing hands Mm -hmm. to Um, I mean, I had digestive issues. There were all kinds of things going on. Shortness of breath, dizzy all the time. All stemming from fear perhaps or? Well, long and short of it, after going to every specialist and every doctor, I was called a hypochondriac, hypersensitive. Some said it was just anxiety. Some tried to give me a pill for my heart issues. I was having arrhythmia and other things and neurological issues. Everybody just wanted to to throw a pill at at something. Mm. Mayo Clinic finally got with them. They did a cortisol test. And for those who don't know what cortisol is, it's a stress hormone. It gets pumped through your body, sort of like adrenaline when you are under extreme stress. Well, Mayo Clinic said, well, we got your results, but we think we compromised the labs because there's no way the results are this high. So we did the test again, did the test again. And they found out that my my cortisol levels were three to four times higher than the maximum amount they should have been. And this has been going on for decades from my childhood through my, you know, 25 year long relationship with my ex-husband. Um, and it had caused my body to think it had to eradicate something. So my white blood cells had gone so low that I was now autoimmune. And that's why I was having all these random symptoms. I was having autoimmune reactions to all the stress. Um, And then I developed, they found out as well that I have this lung syndrome that is actually very common in victims of abuse. Um, and they say, this is like having, that's where you hear the scratchiness in my throat. They say it's like having COPD and fibromyalgia all at once. And I did have a lot of fibromyalgia symptoms, but I was deemed to not actually have fibromyalgia. They attribute it to the lung disease. So I'm laying in bed one night. This was the end of 2019, early 2020. I, I wasn't even in bed, actually. I stayed in my basement because I didn't trust my ex and things had gotten um, so bad that he was set, sending me threatening emails and texts, you know, talking about it would be easier if I was dead and, you know, that it, it, it was just awful. So I'm laying down in the basement one night and I'm just thinking, okay, Dana, I don't want to just die. And this was all that my life was, you know, there's got to be something more there's got to be something more. And I just felt like I needed to ask myself what it was that I wanted. If anything could change in my life, if anything could be, what did Dana want? And I knew what I wanted very easily. You know, I think we all know offhand, I wanted to travel. Sorry, I wasn't able to do that. That's I wanted to write because I did get a degree in journalism, but I had not pursued a career in writing because my Mm. ex didn't want me to do anything that would allow me to have any sense of achievement or success. You know, there, there were all these other things too. Like, I don't know. I wanted to be happy. I wanted to be married, but I wanted to be with somebody who reciprocated. Peace and joy. (laughs) Right. And that's the thing we can laugh about it, but these were things that were like 
wild ideas to me. And so that was my turning point was when I got sick and I asked myself that simple question of Dana, what do you want? What do you want? And so I did, I, I went to an attorney, I got some information because I thought I need to know what this looks like. Um, he did not know that I went to an attorney, but I was left with some homework. I had to get some things in order um, before I could file. And unfortunately, right after that, COVID, the pandemic oh, struck the world goodness. and we went into a shelter in place. So now I was stuck in the house with this man who had sent me all these messages about wanting me dead and I'm trying to divorce him and I'm sick. Um, so I started keeping a record to cover my butt because I thought if if something did happen, I wanted people to know, yeah. you know, what was going on. And so I started keeping a record, a notebook of everything that was said or everything that he did if we had any bad interactions. And then with the time on my hands, I elaborated the stories into what became the book. Um, but the book the I title, felt, the title yeah, gasping for air. Yeah. Refers to my lung disease because I think I felt a responsibility. I thought, okay, I have this talent of writing and I feel responsible for other people that are in similar situations that they should know that, you know, you might be thinking you're doing the noble thing. You might be staying for the children or, you know, I know my my faith kept me there, you know, quite a bit, too. And whatever it is, we all have our reasons and, and a multitude of them. Yeah. But it's not a noble thing to suffer physically, you know, to the point where I mean, even my doctor had said your body is shutting down, Dana, you have to change your life circumstances. Right. And I think once I gave my self-permission to live the full life that I should have thought I deserved, but I didn't realize it until getting sick. That's when that, you know, self-respect came into play, that self-love that we talk about. And I had to, because guess what? Nobody else had loved me, had they? So I had to love me. But guess what happened after I loved me? Say the full title of the book before we move on. Sure. It's called Gasping for Air, The Stranglehold of Narcissistic Abuse. Okay. Thank you. I just want to make sure the audience got the full title. We're going to be showing your book from time to time, but I, I just want them to hear you say it as well. Sure. So what are just maybe three or so nuggets from the book or something related to the book? that you can share with us without spoiling it. Um, <laughs> and these would be maybe um, a gem, a nugget. If the audience forgets most of the things we've said today, you really want them to hold on to, to this. Absolutely. Um, first and foremost, I think that we need to learn to follow our gut. Listen to your gut. Because if something doesn't feel right, no matter what justification you can provide or somebody else, if it doesn't feel right to you, it's not okay. So follow your gut. And that's with people, with situations, everything in life. The next thing I would recommend is watch yourself talk. Hmm. I internalized all the talk around me, the things that the words that were spoken to me and about me for 40 some years. And when I finally got out of 
that, you know, four decades of that. And I am now around people who are speaking positively to me and uplifting me and encouraging me. It made me realize that it's unfortunate that sometimes our biological relations are not those people, but you have to be choosy about who you are surrounding yourself with and and how they're affecting you. Because how people talk about you is how you start to talk about yourself and how you start to see yourself. And nobody deserves all that negativity. And Um, nobody deserves to have that kind of power in your life. Exactly. Take it back. (laughs) Exactly. But that leads to my last little nugget, which is, you know, I spent most of my life looking for love outwardly. Mm -hmm. And in the end... I found that love was in me all along. It had always been there. It just like took something waking me up. Yeah, exactly. And and we all have it. And I can't force it out of you or say the thing that's going to make you feel it. But something will happen in your life. Something, you know, everybody has that that thing that that just makes them realize that epiphany. But we all have it inside of us. And I think once you realize it, you can and will live the most beautiful life. You will feel fulfilled because you'll know that you deserve that joy and that happiness and that love. That's when you can click your heels and go home. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know why the whole time you were explaining that I'm just seeing her click her heels saying, I wish I was home. I wish I was home. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's inside. We and our first inclination is to look outside of ourselves. I don't exactly. Know. Um, well, that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Now, I would like you to uh, share with my audience any information you want to share about how they might engage with you. Have you come as a speaker? Buy your book? Anything you want to share? Yes, absolutely. I'm just going to refer everybody to what my website, DanaSDiaz.com. Links to Facebook and Instagram are on there. And I do post content every day for healing, um, information, hotlines, resources. But we also have a Friday funny because Lord knows we need to laugh about it all sometimes. Every once in a while we can laugh. Um, I also have podcasts like this one will be on my press room page. Um, I do have a blog on there that I add to once a month. And then there is a contact for email. If anyone wants to reach out to me directly for any reason, Um, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I can certainly direct you if you need help finding resources. Um, But I'm always happy to hear from people that, you know, want to share anything or express anything to me. Well, that's great. And I just want to remind everyone that although you see uh, Dana with a different last name on the screen, it's Dana mm-hmm. Diaz. That's how you can find her, uh, her website and, and the other things that she's been talking about and, and to also find her book on Amazon. So with that, Dana, I am so happy. Thank you for being a guest on my show. This was a wonderful dis- discussion and I know that my audience are going to get so much out of it. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Well, friends, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future getting to your next level of best. 
and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.